Welcome back, everyone, to Everyday Holiness, a faith indie podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. As always, this is your host, Dan Allen, Associate Director of Spirituality and Service, and I'm pleased to be joined this week by Anya Rankis, who is a 2020 graduate, so just recently graduated from the university, and she's joining us on the podcast today. So Anya, thanks for being with us. Dan, thank you so much. This is a gift to be able to reflect and to talk to you again. Yes, I'm excited to get into it and share some of your story as it has unfolded so far in your life. We usually start with the beginnings of people and, and their life. So can you tell us some aspects of your childhood that were really important, really shaped you into the person that you've become? Thanks for asking, Dan. I come from a beautiful Catholic family. And as a child, I never wanted for love or support or comfort and affliction. And I'm really grateful for my parents, especially as they've accompanied me through a lot of interior ups and downs. Mm -hmm. I really struggled as a child, um, as I developed that turned into crippling anxiety and just fear. Mm. And I often tried to hide this interior struggle from people, which didn't help because as I've learned that we're not created to do life alone. And especially throughout our very formative years, as I actively kind of isolated myself, I was only making things more difficult for myself. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, regardless of anyone's affirmations of the good that they saw in me or knew to be my identity, I, I didn't really believe it myself. And I didn't believe at my core um, in my own goodness. And so hmm. this is my greatest cross kind of throughout my development into high school, kind of my greatest insecurity. And so I love sharing this because of how Jesus has worked in just very intimate, personal, and monumental ways for, for me as a person to turn this around and to heal me. Hmm. And so that began, I mean, obviously Jesus was present through all of the lowest points. And I particularly started becoming consciously aware of the fact that God is real and that God is present when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. as, a, as a junior and senior, I had a taste of helping just in my youth minister with the very young children. So I didn't have to know anything about theology or anything. <laughs> and my, I mean, which my parents taught me, I should have known more than I, more than I did. But Well, sometimes kids ask really hard questions when it comes to God. So <laughs> yeah, but all I had to say was Jesus loves you. And the more that I shared that with these seven and eight year olds, like the more it started to resonate in my own heart. And so it was such a gift to be able to just be in an environment where I had this longing that was being fulfilled, even if I didn't consciously recognize this this deeper desire to give all of my my wounds to God and to be vulnerable with my community with the fact that I needed some love. And I now at this stage, I've learned that we go through seasons where sometimes we're able to give and sometimes we need to be served. We need to be loved in a way that can often be hard to receive. And so a theme throughout my life, given that I struggled with believing in my identity as a beloved daughter of the Most High God and like a co-heir of eternal life with Jesus, mm -hmm. I really was drawn to the message of Divine Mercy and St. Faustina. Right. And so I, I actually wasn't confirmed until I was a senior in high school. Okay. And my brother um, is two years younger, so we were confirmed together, which is really beautiful. My uncle is a Catholic priest, Father John Kelly. He is a vocations director at St. Thomas in Minnesota, and he at the St. John Vianney Seminary there. And he was both of our confirmation sponsors. And so I'll never forget, we he flew out to be with us on that special day where we the bishop was there and our class was getting ready. And I remember, so I had, I had heard about St. Faustina and someone had given me a book that I was kind of afraid to read, to be honest, because it, she's just so amazingly vulnerable with Jesus. Yeah. It's very personal. Yeah. And so this, this idea of like vulnerability and really like allowing my God to see my needs was still a little bit scary at the time, but mm -hmm. anyway, so, but God and Faustina were so patient with me and they, they just, until I was ready, the invitation was always there, but was never forced. And so this very gentle accompaniment persisted. And finally, when I was being confirmed, I, St. <laughs> Michael had always been a patron of my family and we 
kind of had a special devotion throughout our childhood. And so yeah. my brother and I, we were both at the time we thought we hadn't talked about this yet, but we both wanted St. Michael as our confirmation saint. And so we were on the, in the car, our mom was driving us to be confirmed. And I turned to my brother and said, who are you choosing? Who, who are you? Who do you want to be your person? And he's like, oh, definitely St. Michael. And then I said, wait a minute, I wanted St. Michael. And so we are literally bickering on the way to get confirmed about who's going to get St. Michael. And the only other saint that I could recall just in my stubbornness and like in that moment of, you know what, Lord? Okay, I get it. I guess this is my first opportunity to choose to take the high road or whatever. And so I, I ended up game time decision. I'm sitting in the pew and then all I can think about is St. Faustina. Huh. And so I chose her. I walked up to be confirmed. I asked her to become my patron. And since then, God really, maybe not in ways that we can understand at the time, but he really, he does give us what our deepest desires are. And so in my case, this, this deep, deep longing for communion with him and healing and mercy and not mm. only mercy in this abstract sense but the the psychological and emotional ability to receive god's mercy mm-hmm. and to to be have mercy on myself and that has been a lot of my growth and formation through the rest of high school and throughout college once i arrived at notre dame and then yeah i was learning how to grow in this this posture of receptivity to God's mercy. Yeah, that's so good to hear that you found something that helped and and was important for you. My sense is your struggle is not uncommon in terms of regular growing up and (laughs) figuring out who we are and our identity and especially that, you know, in a Christian sense as as a daughter or son of God, as as you said, but also it seems like there's some heightened challenges in the time and culture in which we live in the sense of so much emphasis on appearance and kind of a cultivation of self uh, on social media or, or the way that we present ourselves. And I think sometimes for parents of children going through this or even grandparents seeing their grandchildren going through this, it's sometimes hard to relate exactly what childhood is like now. Was that your experience is that it, it took some time to explain some of the the things that were challenging you and to help you move forward? For me, it was always difficult because I didn't know how to express what I was struggling with. I just didn't know how hmm. to express this interior struggle, especially since it was tied to this ideal of perfection that I think I created for myself before I knew that that isn't reality. That isn't what my family expected of me. That isn't what God expects of me. That isn't, so it's like, it's just this kind of innate desire. And I think it's tied with some of my gifts and natural virtues. And so it was just the, it was like the, a very premature effort at, living into part of what I think has become my identity just to just ascend it and go for it. And, you know, like really dig in deep when I feel like the Lord is, is leading me into something or has given me an idea or passion or something that I love. I I feel like my desire to be perfect that manifested in that very difficult way as a child has, has been transformed. Mm -hmm. And so I think often these things that we struggle with as children end up becoming as we are, continue to develop in our relationship with our Lord and our community are often, often the areas where we're transformed. Yeah. I do think that, especially at Notre Dame, this desire for, or the striving after perfection, uh, which is an impossible task to, to think that we can get there, this side of heaven is, is a common one in our student body. So that's that's again not not a rare situation, but as you said, you you were as understanding more as you were living through it. Can you give us a sense of how you picked Notre Dame and came to Notre Dame, and you know as you were developing and maturing in this way that Notre Dame seemed like the right place for you? Absolutely. So this is probably the next most beautiful 
intervention that God made in my life. <laughs> so I was a tennis player. Uh-huh. Tennis was my passion for, I mean, since I was probably like 12 or 13 through mid high school. And mm-hmm. I was training and had trained at, I was, I was starting to get to the point where I was having to make decisions about, okay, um, at a certain level, you decide, are you going to play in college? Are you going to try to play professionally? Is that even an option? Okay. What coaches do you need to be working with in order to make that happen? And so I was kind of at that and it happens very young with tennis, I think. Yeah. And so I was in, at that phase, kind of mid high school trying to decide. And then I ended up becoming pretty chronically injured and it just, the whole thing kind of for the combination of being uncertain of my identity as a beloved daughter of the most high God, and then really struggling in my sport and then struggling physically really created the the perfect storm. And I, I really had probably one of the lowest points of my life Mm. and about mid high school. And then coming out of that, I, so I had to stop playing tennis to try to just reclaim normal life and Mm -hmm. living with joy and in a healthy way. And so I went from pretty intense training to nothing. And I, I, um, as if we've just kind of, once I accepted that I, I needed something to give and I agreed to stop training. And like, I, again, God, just kind of reset everything. And I remember my mom was driving me to school one day and my parents knew how much athletics meant to me. And so they were coming up with ideas about other sports I could try to which I often responded like, yeah, right. Or whatever. Typical <laughs> um, <laughs> high school. Like, uh, I'm not sure mom and dad really know what they're talking about. <laughs> exactly. So this is just so great because one day I went to this all girls Catholic high school, Holy Names Academy in Seattle, Washington. And mm-hmm. we were really blessed to have a nationally ranked top rowing program. Mm-hmm. And I had never even heard of rowing. And my mom driving me to school one day said, Hey, I just figured out there's a rowing team at your school. Is that something you might want to try? Like, think about it. And so, you know, I'm sure my initial reaction, I almost vividly remember like scoffing and rolling my eyes and being like, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. I'm just, I'll see you after school, you know? And so I thought about it and I ended up meeting some of the rowers and was kind of intrigued. And, you know, I just missed sports so much. And so I gave it a shot. And I, the second that I said yes to that invitation into one, a more communal sport yeah, and a sport where you, the whole success of a team hinges on self-sacrifice for love of the other, for the person mm. in front of and behind you. And so it's a very theological sport, <laughs> which if you really get... Different that, from singles tennis, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I went from, you know, like being alone on the court and suffering and just not knowing why I couldn't do this on my own, you know, mm-hmm. to, yeah, you're going to get on an erg and I'd never worked so hard in my entire life. Like, yes. it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was really, really transformative for me to be in such a an uplifting community where we were striving for a common goal and we had each other's backs. And it was also very, very rigorous, which I, I really loved. Mm-hmm. And so I had been training so seriously as a tennis player that when I showed up, I, I had a lot of those, the ability to lift and things like that. Yeah, kind of some crossover, crossover discipline and Exactly. And so I, I was I was ready to enter into it and I accelerated that accelerated my growth as like on the team. And so by the end of my I think my second you start as a novice, um, regardless of how old you are. So that was also just a really beautiful experience because I started as a junior with the freshmen. Mm-hmm. And so I I was with younger women and really, really got close with a lot of my younger classmates and was, was kind of the, like the mother goose, an odd one out in this group of athletes, because I, everybody my age was trying for the varsity crew and 
preparing to race at nationals and like already was really just they were a lot more mature in the sport than I was at that time but it was it was a really beautiful humbling experience and a really fruitful one as I learned just more about my deep desire for women's community and so that was that was really transformative so I spent a season with the novices learned the ropes accelerated quickly through like the more the tests where I had the skills already to kind of succeed there and so I by the spring was placed in a varsity crew as a basically a placeholder since it was still my first year I was still learning a lot okay and one of my teammates who actually had a serious serious injury but she was one of the best youth national rowers in the country at the time so she Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she was a superstar um wonderful athlete and really good friend to me and I when she was seriously injured they put me in her spot and so basically it was like a I got to train learn the ropes and be a part of varsity when I really hadn't earned it yet and I learned very very quickly because of that because they were going at a pace where I just had to hang in there and yeah (laughs) and then when Marley came back I went back to where I was before and was placed kind of just in the middle of the pack and then I had to fight for a spot to race in a crew that would be able to compete at regionals and then potentially at nationals. So mm-hmm. I, we just had such a great program. And so when I was removed from the varsity crew, I was kind of in contention for our varsity quad, which is sculling instead of sweep rowing and in sweep rowing, each person that's like the classic kind of thing you think of in college or high school, where there's an eight, each person has one or you row together kind of in perfect unison with your pair partner. And then, all the pairs link up together and you're hopefully rowing like as one. Okay. And then, but a quad is same thing, eight oars, but you have four people. And so each person has two oars and they're smaller. It's called sculling. And so sculling is, I quickly learned my, one of my favorite things um, I had discovered yet as an athlete because I have always had scoliosis and it was really, really good for my back. Hmm. So I, I ended up, learning to skull in two weeks and I won my seat race. And so now I was headed in, like, I didn't even know, I didn't know what I was doing. And so the whole thing was just so humbling because it was so clearly as I learned to trust the Lord more and more and be vulnerable with what I needed and just aware of my utter dependence on him, like things just fall into place. You know, when we mm-hmm. allowed, we cooperate with grace, things work out because God is so good. Yeah. And so I, I, this is like just a whole crash course in dependence and really the first time I had encountered this with the things that I was passionate about. And yeah, so I, because of that junior year season, ultimately we ended up at nationals in our quad. We got ninth in the country. It was, it was just this kind of crazy thing that no one could have seen coming. Yeah. It was, I started entering the recruiting process after that season. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to a bunch of different schools I had no idea where I wanted to go, much less what I wanted to study. So I I was applying and the recruiting process really informed a lot of the schools that I ended up focusing on um, because I really wanted to be able to row in college. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I I had this deep desire, especially as I mentioned, after working with the young children in my parish, Mm -hmm. even just in that limited capacity as an assistant kid who was basically watching the seven-year-olds like (laughs) i i knew that i longed to be able to be in this position where i would be allowed to grow in my relationship with christ and i didn't even know what that meant or the concrete manifestation but i knew i had the desire so so my desire to be in a place where i could grow in my relationship with god and rowing really guided me throughout that process and visiting schools and trying to find a community that felt right and so i ended up doing one of my officials at Notre Dame. And just from the second that I arrived, it felt like, I know that I mean, this is not a unique thing, but everybody <laughs> it has a different kind of way to articulate it. But it's just, there's something about the place. You know, when Jesus is present in tabernacles in like eight, at least 80 places in like a two and a half mile radius, <laughs> the, I mean, you just, <laughs> there's a certain just sense of the sacred and recognition that we're not God. And so I really immediately was attracted even before I, I could never have articulated that at the time, but yeah, that was my sense when I arrived and I will never forget one of the assistant coaches sat with me and I, I remember we didn't even have an appointment. 
like, like I had emailed with head coach Martin Stone, but I, I don't think I told anyone that I was coming. Mm. And we just hoped that someone would be in the office because we had been able to come last minute, whatever. I don't remember the exact circumstance, but yeah. we walked upstairs into the rowing office and one of the assistant coaches was present and he just immediately welcomed my dad and I into the office and told us to sit down and talk to us for a long time. And I will never forget that he told me, yeah, Anya, so that I guess one thing that's important for you to bring into your discernment as you decide about where to continue looking to go to school and to row is that we have an order of values here. And the first thing in our order of operations is God yeah. and faith. And the second thing is family and community. And then the third is sport. Mm-hmm. And so as a team, we really strive to live by those standards. And yeah, so that just kind of pretty much sealed the deal on my end. I was like, okay, yeah, I can row here. <laughs> Got and, your priorities straight. Exactly. And so that was a total blessing. And so from that point forward, that really narrowed my search. I think I visited a couple more places, but I really just knew that I wanted to come to Notre Dame. And yeah, so I I entered as the rest is history. Yeah. And Mary, Mary had me under her mantle and... <laughs> And, and I'm sure, as often is the experience, that four years went quickly, and uh, all of a sudden you kind of found yourself close to graduation. But any highlights that you'd like to share with us about your time at Notre Dame that you'll you'll always be grateful for? Absolutely. I Again, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, because God just really, I mean, college is so interesting in how... It's, it's this beautiful opportunity to struggle more on your own than I ever had, mm-hmm. I think. And then you're asking the real questions. You're trying to dig even deeper into, okay, I have this, maybe this notion of who I am and who God's calling me to be. How do I integrate my whole life to pursue Jesus mm-hmm. and then to pursue the fulfillment of these deep desires that I'm discovering, like in real time, all the time. Like you learn about something, you say yes to things, you discern, you continue to like really go through that process as an adult for the first time. And I think that was my favorite part of college were all of the moments where God made his presence so clear and through the things that he just led me to discover, brought me so much joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then just like the, more particularly, I, again, I didn't really know which direction I wanted to go uh, until really sophomore year. And I was continuing to discover it in real time throughout that year and into junior year. But I, I started as a biology major and quickly realized that I just, I was not gifted in the ways that I needed to be to succeed at the level that I wanted to succeed, mm-hmm. particularly with math and chemistry and those things just didn't, I needed so much extra help that I couldn't handle it on top of sport. Mm-hmm. And so I, that was the first great humbling that happened at Notre Dame was being able to realize like, yeah, my, one of my best friends can cut it in this class and I can't, mm. and I got to figure out how to use my gifts so that I can thrive at the level in which God is calling me to. Yeah. And even learning the language with which to articulate those things and then take action. Like just being in a community where you could have that kind of support so particular to your vocation and to your desires and people that have made themselves accessible to walk with you. It's a really unique opportunity that I found at Notre Dame. So I, yeah, I I learned that was not my calling. I switched to anthropology. Again, I love humans. I love people. Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn I think I was interested at the time, just what is the deepest desire of humanity? What do humans long for? Okay. And again, I hadn't been able to articulate that at the time, but I think that's why I was drawn into that department. And then as I continued to get to the root of what I was searching for and searching to learn more about, I, I moved, I ended up finding myself in the, th- the theology department where I was really able to, through both philosophy and theology and just study of my Catholic faith and the rich tradition therein, I really started to find my groove with academics and then began to all of a sudden understand more of my deepest desires and the integration of all of the things that 
brought me joy and, and nourished me and how to prioritize just prayer before all else in order to be able to sustain the more difficult times. Mm -hmm. And all those lessons started happening when I began to be immersed in uh, my theological education. And so I really felt like the Lord led me to discover a huge part of my passion Mm -hmm. through, through that time. Yeah. So that's, that was really just such a gift. And then all of that came together my junior year when I had at that point discerned, I love and had always loved painting and being creative. Mm -hmm. And it felt like something that wasn't only like a hobby that I had always kind of felt guilty about pursuing because it didn't seem lucrative enough. It didn't seem substantial enough. It didn't seem like something that it felt like a kind of like an added bonus if I could have time to do that. And so I never really allowed myself to do it. But the minute that I did, my life was transformed Mm. and, and just integrated. Again, this word has been such a theme because I've, I feel like God's constantly teaching me more and more about just how to live in the Holy spirit and prioritize our prayer, our duty, and then however he leads us in whatever direction we may not be able to anticipate throughout the day. And so just to, I feel like at this time discovering, oh my goodness, I, there is so much joy here and it's deeper than like something, oh yeah, it's fun or it, I like to do it. And it was amazing because I, I not only was affirmed by this great joy that I found in, in allowing myself to pursue art as a discipline and then as part of my academic formation, but once, once it became integrated with theology, it, it started to become potentially an act of prayer. Hmm. And so a, a space where I could be with God and be doing what I feel like he gave me this special joy and passion for. And so that was a really, really great gift that I discovered my junior year. Once I began to learn about these things, I'd also started studying Irish language my sophomore year. Hmm. And so learning about Irish culture kind of in the midst of all of this and which, which so beautifully integrates evangelization through beauty and through images just perpetuated by works like the book of Kells or other just beautiful illuminated manuscripts when monks were working hard in Ireland to preserve academia, you know, and, and the faith and the greatest truths. And so I, that really kind of brought everything together to me for me when I, I was super fired up about the Irish language and Irish culture and Irish language and literature. And then also discovering, Oh, I am allowed to do this Mm -hmm. because it's what I feel like I was made to do. It's not like a side deal or whatever. And so then theology was really the meat that sustained me through kind of navigating these, these things, you know, I would test out. I, I did take an economics class, you know, I, I tested the waters and in these other areas (laughs) And it just, it was pretty clear that, you know what, it's okay that I don't succeed in these some areas because one, I think there are very few people, if anyone, who really succeeds at everything they do. Right. And the, and then like, yeah, like why not do the things that bring me the most joy? Because I, I will just work as hard as I possibly can to glorify God through my work. If, if this is really fulfilling and nourishing my, my heart. Yeah, and and I think there is a sense of, you know, it's it's in the scriptures, right, that God bestows different gifts on different people. But I've often seen at Notre Dame students struggle with that, or even their parents struggle with what's most practical, what's most lucrative, or has the best potential to uh, there for there to be a job at the end of at the end of this journey, and and sometimes that can be a a hard lesson to realize that you know I'm not, I'm not gifted in this way, but I'm gifted in another way uh, that that can be sometimes unexpected. And there's that real process of, of self discovery and and changing course that can happen in college. And it sounds like you you found your place well and and found something that was really important to you. But also speaking of changing course, at the end of your time at Notre Dame, things changed in a big way with the COVID-19 pandemic and all the changes that happened your final semester. Could you tell us your experience of that time and, and what were some of the lessons that you brought out of it? So at the end of my junior year, 
I decided that I wanted to write a thesis integrating theology, art, and Irish studies. And so that really informed a lot of my senior year and the work that I was doing when COVID pretty much brought the semester to a halt and then changed everybody's lives so dramatically. Yeah. And I, the summer before senior year, had the great privilege to travel to Ireland to do research on Irish holy wells. Mm-hmm. And I was going there to gather visual data and just anything I could possibly learn about the like the current spiritual landscape of the country mm-hmm. and of the Catholic Church in Ireland. And so I really had this amazing pilgrimage journey as I traveled around and studied these sites and photographed them to bring reference images back to, to paint these landscapes and to hopefully communicate something of what I learned and to reach to reach hearts with the love and mercy of Christ in, in the particular ways that the times indicated were spots of, of need, I guess. I was trying to search and see what people were experiencing and then respond with my artwork to help just make people aware of God's particular love for them and the fact that he sees them. He sees their particular interior struggle like he had seen mine. Mm -hmm. And so this whole project was really, really formative for me because I was was growing so much personally through it. And then my work was hopefully going to, to touch other people's hearts as well. And so when I returned from a couple months in Ireland, I began writing my thesis about Catholic popular piety at these holy wells, which mm-hmm. are places, I should probably talk about what that is. The, there are these natural springs in many cases where over the course of centuries, people have gone to pray. Mm-hmm. And St. Patrick often would evangelize at these sites. So they became incorporated in Catholic popular piety where people would go after mass or regularly to pray a rosary walking deschel or clockwise around this spring. And there are often deposits of like votives or candles or rosaries, prayer cards, pictures of people's ill children or people who have passed, wedding photos, intimate stories about something that people are asking their community to pray for. Like all of these things are present um, in many of these places. And so uh, that just fascinated me and really, really gripped me that this, this longing for God and longing for communion with one another and with Christ was made visually accessible through these deposits of votives mm. and the presence of pilgrims in these places and the, the the physical marks that they would leave behind in the nearby stones or like there would be often stacked stone structures around the well or a cement wall at one site in a nearby ruins of a nearby oratory at Ardmore in County Waterford mm-hmm. um, at St. Declan's well. Pilgrims for so many hundreds of years have been going to this place to pray and to pray the rounds, which is a specific set of prayers that are kind of particular to the place, but each holy well usually has rounds that people pray traditionally, often maybe asking for the intercession of the saint or the blessed mother, whoever the place is dedicated to. Mm -hmm. And so many pilgrims had gone past these ruins next to this holy well and traced the sign of the cross in these designated locations that some of the there were indentations about two inches deep in the rock. Wow. People tracing with a stone, the sign of the cross. And so my project led to my thesis, which I wrote about basically these, these places as functioning as an apologetic, a visual apologetic of humans longing for God. Yeah. That the belief is <laughs> in the stones and in the pictures exactly. and the artwork. Yeah. That's beautiful. Exactly. Thank you. Praise God. And so this was this that was really defining my quarantine because <laughs> I was I obviously was I was immersed in the project for basically two years and then at the end there it was really go time to try to understand. I mean, there's so many different beautiful lessons that God shaped in me through the experiences that I there was a lot of necessary silent time sitting with all of it hmm. and seeing what what the point was, what's my thesis, you know, what is all of this? And so it was really, really beautiful and humbling to have all of the work be distilled into this simple, this very, very simple claim and truth that humans long for God Hmm. because God longs for humanity and he created us for himself. And so, man, I don't know that it would have been possible for me to get to that point 
without the stillness mm. that I was able to experience after, you know, this is the grind of, okay, online classes. Okay. Now we've got two weeks and it's go time. And this needs to be edited, all that. So, I mean, it was, I don't know how it would have gotten done. It's just such a, such a paradox that we may never understand, which can feel very dissatisfying, mm. but I, I do trust that God is good, even though, or not even though, but just, I also want to recognize the suffering that so many have endured. Yeah. There were a lot of losses uh, in terms of not only loss of life and, and illness, just the most significant, but for you and your classmates, the loss of a final semester and all the the things that go along with that at Notre Dame and, and elsewhere. But but in that, it sounds like there were there were some silver linings or the ways that grace was still moving and grace was still a part of your life. And, you know, that there were positive movements of God in that time that may, may have not been as readily apparent then, or maybe they were, but with the gift of a little bit of hindsight and distance, you're able to see those even, even more so now. Absolutely. And I just want to add to what you're saying, man, one of the most beautiful things that I think I've ever received um, was from my cousin. And during my, my confirmation, he told me, Anya, in life, and this is after he endured just excruciating loss and suffering. Hmm. And so this is particularly profound to be coming from him. Yeah. And he told me, Anya, we, in this life, we don't have answers, but we have orders. And so we, this just reminds me of what Job went through mm-hmm. and how we, we in this life, we live in such a broken world. And then we have Jesus to accompany us. Mm-hmm. Who knows the extent of our suffering mm-hmm. and of the particularities of the pain because he chose to endure it with us. Right. And so this, this great mystery of suffering is not necessarily met with an answer, but it's met with God's presence. Mm-hmm. And to your earlier point of discovering your identity, we know who we are as beloved sons and daughters of God because of who Jesus is, has been, and, and is to us now, which is, I guess, some level of comfort, even when the answers don't come in this life. Exactly. Well, this time has felt like a a season of healing from self-reliance on my part, Mm -hmm. because I've had some personal challenges and illness. And again, every time, I think it's, I've learned how important it is to allow ourselves to grieve and to feel what we feel. Mm. Because God is not asking us to repress those things again, we're embodied souls. We have this body, we have a mind, we have an intellect, we have feelings that may or may not be rational. And that's, that's okay to, to feel and to kind of accept ourselves where we're at. And then always, always, always understand that, that God is tenderly waiting for us to be ready to enter into his presence, mm. to open up our hearts to him so that he can heal us in ways that we can't predict or expect. Yeah, it, it, it makes me think about Jesus and, and like the really human moments of Jesus in the Gospels. Like I think about Jesus weeping at the tomb of Lazarus as a, a, of his friend and this agony in the garden, his sweat is dropping like drops of blood that in Jesus we have someone who felt the weakness of the human experience, which is, you know, as you're sharing your, the aspects of your story, like we keep coming up against that of this, this human weakness. And, but it sounds like you've, you found a sense that God is faithful and, and, and in some ways you're being called to glorify God, even as you come upon these moments of weakness. Has that been, has that been your experience? Absolutely. And I think that that has been particularly clear as I've been learning about the deepest desires of my heart as I've left college. Hmm. And so I think one of the most powerful 
human experiences that we can have is is being vulnerable with God in our in our real need, mm-hmm. in our real deepest wounds that are scary to bring to him. But when we do, and when and, and again, like often I feel like I'm not even strong enough and I'm not to open up my heart. I can't. And so I ask Jesus and I've been been taught to just say, "Okay, Lord, I I am so weak and hurting that I can hardly even look up at you right now. Mm. And I just thank you, St. Therese of Lisieux, for this image of God is willing and ready when we ask to lift us up like little children, like just by our arms and just to pick us up and lift us up to the next step where we need to go. And then again, and then again. And so we don't even have to be strong enough to pray. Like that's, it's, it's just this receptivity and simply allowing God to be present to us, to receive his presence so that he can heal us. Mm. And that has been very special for me to, to practice because I'm often so hard on myself that realizing that it was not about my ability to pray the right way, to, to understand my wounds, to be able to kind of have any, any pressure in my healing Mm -hmm. (laughs) is, is not, is not how it, must be. It, it, God is the one in charge. He takes all of the pressure off of us because he's God. Yeah, it's it's kind of those moments where we realize, I mean, our radical dependence on God that I did not cause the sun to cast light and heat on the earth today and the air that I breathe and the water that I drink and the food that I have, it's not of my own creation. And so, it's it's not a cliche. It's it's a true statement that that each day is a gift, and and there's so many things that uh, the ways that God is sustaining us. But that can be easy to forget until we're in a time of either personal illness, like you've described, or in the midst of a pandemic, to really upset our our worldview or understanding that we were self sufficient because uh, that that actually wasn't true but kind of an illusion that we that we told ourselves absolutely and man i one of my dear friends and fellow notre dame grads dan lindstrom um sent me a quote today that i think really speaks to our current situation and before i before i read this quote by saint francis de sales i think one of those beautiful gifts of the last few years for me as I have failed and suffered and experienced God's goodness and mercy as the answer to all of those most difficult moments of, of death and uncertainty with my own health more recently. Mm-hmm. And the things that really make us aware of the fact that we're not in control is that we have this beautiful opportunity that Jesus provides for us just to sit with him in silence and to allow him to work in ways that we may not perceive, and then to experience the freedom that comes with being reliant on him and not on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so just this like this tender in the Eucharist, just going to sit with him, that gift is something that just has been functioning in ways beyond words in the midst of my suffering in the last six months. Mm-hmm. And even when we can't make it to be with him in the Eucharist, praying the act of spiritual communion and asking Jesus and just affirming in our hearts, Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most blessed sacrament. Mm-hmm. And I love you above all things. This really has changed the course of some of my darkest moments where I feel alone or just hopeless. Mm-hmm. And so it just... This, his presence is always the answer to these these deep, deep things. And even if we're not able or not yet receiving his presence, we can ask for the grace in order to be able to have that experience. And it's just, that's been such an encouragement for me. Yeah. Yeah. So the, that is all kind of a preface for this quote. And St. Francis de Sales writes, Do not lose your inner peace for anything whatsoever, not even if the whole world seems upset. 
If you find that you have wandered away from the shelter of God, lead your heart back to him quietly and simply. Really appropriate for us right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's a great segue to our, our final topic, which is holiness and how do we how do we pursue it? Uh, you mentioned some of the saints who have been important to you. How do you, as a beloved daughter of God, as as you know yourself to be now, how do you find yourself pursuing holiness in your life as it is now? That's so beautiful. Right now, it's been very important for me to pray at the same time every day and more and just being, I keep asking friends to pray for my docility to the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and and ability to have my plans interrupted by the Lord um, and just constantly being aware of my as I've learned really my, my greatest desire is for him to be glorified in my need. And so asking Jesus to increase his humility in me. And so, yeah, those are some of, I'd be grateful for anyone listening to pray for me. Yes, absolutely. Particular. Um, and yeah, but the more concretely, I, I've really loved learning more about the liturgy of the hours in the divine office mm. as a way to anchor ourselves in God's word throughout the day. And just to anchor and reclaim the first hour and the last hour of every day. Mm. So one thing that's been helpful for me in prayer and just like in life is to isolate and like hide all screens at 9 p.m. Okay. And and not look at any screens yeah. <laughs> because then it creates this space where I have time to pick up that spiritual reading that I never would have gotten to because I would have been folding laundry or talking to someone on the phone or do, doing something else. And so just creating this kind of sacred first hour and last hour where nothing interrupts our silence with the Lord hmm. and his ability to speak to our hearts in moments where we're unsuspecting and like, just doing our thing, being the child of God that he created us to be, sleeping, you know, brushing our teeth, getting ready, just winding down, listening to music, like doing the things that help us to just be relaxed and present with him and taking joy in it. Mm -hmm. And so that being more intentional about how my days are structured and being immersed in God's word more habitually has been very helpful for me. And then also just receiving the sacraments as much as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. The Eucharist, the sacrament of reconciliation. I actually got to receive anointing of the sick, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And I just also want to encourage people that is not reserved as a last rite. Right. It's it, We should be receiving <laughs> that as much as we possibly can. And I recently learned when I was offered this beautiful sacrament that I, like, I really, really wanted to go to confession. And then when the priest offered me the sacrament of the anointing of the sick instead, like I hadn't even realized, but that, that it was an entire cleansing of my soul. Right. The, and I, it, it's just a sacrament that is, I think not talked about enough. So yeah, that's another really beautiful thing that I've encountered recently. That is such a beautiful part of our Catholic faith. Yeah. God is there. So, well, thank you for, for sharing some of those, those tips with us. I think those are great things. One more question for you, just because, you know, you're, a recent graduate and, and discerning the future, but you've had this period of illness. But of course, we want to look, uh, we will pray for you and continue to pray for you, but look with hope towards the future. What are some of the dreams and aspirations that you have for your life and, and your vocation as you as you look towards the future? Yeah, Dan, thank you for asking. I have grown to understand more and more that it is my deepest desire in whatever God wills for me to help people understand his particular love for them. Hmm. And so as, as a visual artist, as an aspiring sacred artist, I'm really interested in this integration of theology and art and creating beautiful, beautiful things that help people to pray Mm -hmm. and then to hijack the words of a wonderful sacred artist, Donnie McManus, and then who was drawing from Cardinal Ratzinger, My deepest desire is to create things so beautiful that they pierce people's hearts so that truth and goodness can can enter. Hmm. And that is just, 
that concept is following me around and I <laughs> I'm studying <laughs> I'm studying the figure but I'm getting into more anatomy bone structure mm-hmm. I'm studying here I just moved to Virginia and I'm studying as much as I can at the National Gallery here it's such a great resource and just copying the masters like following the guidelines of how to do that with the with the museum and they, it's just a really great place to continue to learn mm-hmm. and I'm interested in art education as well with kind of reclaiming the arts as a mode of evangelization and a deep understanding of how they can inform our understanding of our deep or our true identity as sons and daughters of the most high God. Mm. So how these images can communicate in ways that maybe words can't, they, they can transcend language barriers, maybe ideological barriers, like all of these things. I think that images are a very powerful way to communicate, especially in a time where our, our culture is becoming divided. Mm. And so I, I really, really, this feels like where my brain will be living for a while, my brain, my heart, my soul, and my work. Yeah. Um, and so I'm interested in either, I think that I would also like to teach. And so I'll be applying for, for ECHO, um, a wonderful Notre Dame program, sure. and which could integrate my, my desire to communicate and teach and serve the church. And so, yeah, that's, that's my plan at the moment. Yeah, well, that is wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And you mentioned asking people to pray for you, and that is very much a part of what we do as the Faith ND community. So <laughs> one benefit of coming on the podcast is you get <laughs> you get to have a lot of people pray for you. So know of our prayers for you, not, not only for your physical health, but, you know, that God continues to inform your heart about what the plans he has for you in the future and uh, really hope and pray that you find that place where you can be that source of evangelization and healing in a culture deeply in need. Dan, thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time. I just also want to make myself available. I, I would love to pray for people. And I love that I'm so grateful for this Faith ND community and the ways that makes other people's intentions accessible to us. And I'm grateful that we're all praying for each other. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. It's a blessing all around. So Anya, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your day to join us for the podcast. It was a really great conversation and just wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Thank you so much, Dan. God bless you and your family. God bless you as well. Well, that concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness, a Faith in D podcast. As always, we invite you to subscribe to our daily gospel reflection email at faith.nd.edu slash signup. There we'll tell you about future releases of the podcast, as well as share with you a gospel reflection from a member of the Notre Dame community. Until next time, we thank you for being with us. God bless you all. Mm-hmm.